With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from power. Weakness head on me. Free, 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 free. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction. recovery. I'm Jean McCarthy, author and blogger over at Unpickled. I've been telling my story there since my first day of sobriety nine years ago, and I hold space for your stories here. Well, today I'm thrilled to talk with a fellow author and blogger, the charming, warm, funny Claire Pooley. Claire's blog, Mommy Was a Secret Drinker, began in 2015 and formed the basis for her first book, a memoir called The Sober Diaries. It was such a huge success, and her second book, a novel called The Authenticity Project, is now available. It's sure to be a huge hit as well. Here's my recent chat with Claire Pooley. Claire Pooley, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Thank you, Jean. I'm so pleased to be here. I can't tell you how how thrilled I am about, about this moment. Well, I'm having a little bit of a surreal excitement, too, to think that we're actually speaking. You know, we we sort of swim in the same warm bath of the recovery-friendly internet, and yet here we are connecting. What a delight to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, as I said, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and uh, all over the, the other side of the pond. So it's morning your time and it's it's evening mine. But, uh, yes, that's right. And it's it's amazing to me that we can do this and how small the world really is when it comes to the things we have in common. And in particular, that something as important to us as recovery lets us reach out and take the time and make the time for others. I'm especially excited that you're here to talk about your new book, The Authenticity Project, which is fiction and it is just out this week. And very excited to talk about that. But first, I would really like for listeners to just get to know you a little bit. So before we talk about the book and some of your other projects, tell us a bit about yourself and your story. Okay. Um, so I mean, I quit drinking uh, five years ago almost. So it was it was beginning of March 2015. And um, I at the time, I was a um, stay-at-home mum with three kids and the youngest was six, and the oldest uh, at the time was 11. Uh, so it was quite full on. And um, what I used to do is what so many mothers around the world do, in that I used to get to the end of the day, and I'd pour myself a large glass of wine, and I'd think, right, this is me time, this is my reward for a really sort of uh, busy day well done, and this was the time when I sort of was able to feel adult and grown up. And that uh, one glass of wine turned into 
two glasses of wine and the two glasses of wine turned into three and my glasses were very big. So that was sort of pretty much a whole bottle. And then at the weekends, there were probably two bottles. And by this point, I was drinking um, about 10 bottles of wine a week, which, as you all know, starts having real effects on your mental and physical health. And, you know, I was, uh, if anybody anybody had seen me at the school gates or or sort of you know at the parties or whatever they they would have thought that my life was completely in control and that um you know everything was fine but actually it was all slightly falling to bits in that you know I had anxiety all the time I was an insomniac I was uh, very overweight um, I had no energy I uh, and my whole life was sort of stuck in a bit of a rut Um, and um, you know it started it took me a while to acknowledge the fact that all of those things were oh and I wasn't a very good mother either I was very shouty and um, impatient with the children. I spent a lot of time trying to run away from them, which is awful now I think about it. But, um, uh, but so I got to the point where I realized that all of this was down to the amount that I was drinking and I knew I had to stop. Um, and it all came to a head actually when one morning when I had a terrible hangover and I ended up pouring some uh, red wine into a mug because it was only 11 o'clock in the morning and I didn't want my kids to see me drinking. And I had this really hard and fast rule that you don't drink before midday because if you drink before midday, you're an alcoholic. <laughs> you know how you set yourself those rules? <laughs> um, and um, and I'd broken this cardinal rule. And then I looked at the mug that I was holding and it said on it, the world's best mum. And um, that I, I think of as my mug of shame moment <laughs> because I haven't had a drink since then. Um, so uh, I quit on that day and my way of therapy, my way of dealing with everything was to write and I started writing a blog which I called Mummy Was a Secret Drinker and that blog and the community that I met through that blog was really what got me through so in a nutshell, that was sort of the beginning of what got me to where I am today, which is much better. <laughs> <laughs> you really are the world's best mom now. You're really oh, living up to it. I think though, when we when we know that we are doing our best, uh, then maybe we feel a little more worthy of of at least um, holding a mug that says that, right? I, yeah. I feel like um, that's that's certainly a big part of it is knowing that we're we're at least doing our best, and we can't do that when we're completely numb all the time with alcohol. So tell me how you got sober once you started writing your blog and and um, in doing your sort of self work. What other tools or p- patches or part of your patchwork of recovery? Um, oh, there were all sorts of things that um, that I found helped. I mean, I, as part of the blog, I did loads of research. So um, I read everything I could find, you know, on the topic of alcohol and addiction. And, um, you know, I joined a lot of communities and uh, virtual communities. Um, I was, I never went to AA. I was way too scared. Um, and, and I sort of, I sort of felt like, you know, perhaps incorrectly that it, it wasn't for, for, it wouldn't be right for me. I sort of felt like, um, you know, I was very much, a I think as we describe now a gray area drinker. And I felt that, uh, that, you know, if I went to AA, I was worried that 
that um, I would end up sort of hearing the stories of people who were in a much worse position than me and then convincing myself that I was actually okay, if that makes sense. Um, so, uh, so I did it very much on my own to start off with. Um, and the sort of tools I used were, you know what I found my, I, I found, um, exercise really helped in the early days. I found cleaning really helped. You know, I, bizarrely, I used to, I used to spend a lot of time cleaning my house as just a way of distracting myself. So, so I ended up with a, for the first time ever with a really clean house. Um, <laughs> And, uh, um, uh, yeah, I, in the early days I went to bed very, very early and I got up very early because I found the evenings difficult, but the mornings were fantastic because, you know, you'd wake up in the morning without a hangover, which was brilliant. So, you know, so instead of, instead of, um, staying up late and, uh, and struggling, I would go to bed at, you know, sort of at the same time as the kids really, and then wake up at 5am feeling fabulous. So, so that sort of got me through the, the early days really. It's a remarkable change, isn't it? I think so many of us, when we first begin, we can't even imagine what our life will be like without alcohol. And if I had said to you, hey, I have a great idea, Claire. How about you quit drinking and you go to bed at 7 p.m. and you get up at 5 a.m.? You might not jump at that. You might say, hmm, that doesn't sound that good. And yet, when you fall into that pattern on your own, there's quite a lovely change of internal emotions and dialogue when we start getting enough sleep and start stop doing things that we loathe ourselves for. What did that change feel like for you emotionally? Um, oh, it was, you know what, I mean, it's, it's strange. I thought initially that when I quit, my life would be over. You know, I thought that I was never going to have fun again, that... Um, you know, that uh, I wouldn't be able to relax again, you know, and, and and I just, I couldn't quite see, you know, I, I knew it was something I had to do, but I felt like it was a punishment. And, um, you know, and what was so miraculous over time is I started realizing that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't actually losing anything. I was just gaining, <laughs> and uh, you know, just in terms of uh, my mood started evening out, my energy levels came back. Um, I was, you know, as far as being a mum was concerned, I was, I was on a much, I was on a, uh, I was sort of on the same wavelength as my kids for the first time in in a long time, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, as 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 you know, it's it's difficult to describe sort of all the myriad ways in in which which life starts to transform. But uh, but yes, it was quite miraculous. And then comes the building of a community. Um, people go to AA or other recovery meetings for instant community and support, and it is wonderful. Those of us who chose the online pathway or the self-directed pathway to recovery end up building our own communities and, and discovering in our own ways the power of connecting with others. What did that feel like for you as you began to find other people like yourself online? Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because there's a great TED talk by Johan Harry. Have you watched? Have you watched? It's it's, it's called um, "Everything You Thought You Knew About Addiction Is Wrong," um, right. and he says at the end of it, the opposite of addiction is connection. And um, I think what I started to to realize is it doesn't matter 
how you connect with other people, but connecting with other people is really crucial um, because, um, you know, for all sorts of reasons. Firstly, because initially it's very, you know, I felt very, very alone to start off with. You know, I thought I was the only person in the world that felt the way that I did, and I felt huge amounts of shame. And um, and connecting with other people makes you realize that you are not alone. And, you know, there were I would find somebody like you on the other side of the world whose experiences were so so exactly like my own that it just, you know, made me feel like I wasn't abnormal. And and that's uh, that's a really powerful thing. And, you know, the other thing that community does is, you know, it keeps you accountable. So, you know, there are times when. I would be at a party and I'd be struggling and I'd be thinking, you know, maybe I could just have the one drink and I would escape to a bathroom and um, I would look up my blog and my um, readers and I would remind myself that it wasn't just me that was, you know, I'd be letting down. I'd be letting down a whole load of other people as well. And, um, and that made all the difference um you know it's 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 actually much harder to disappoint other people than it is to disappoint yourself I was quite used to disappointing myself um so uh, so yeah so that that community is is really crucial and also they just give you so much love and support because you know um the people who are ahead of you in this game uh, all know what it's like and you know it's uh, the final step of AA is about giving back and and it is you know, there is something so important about the recovery community that just happens naturally, which is, uh, is that, you know, once you've been through it yourself, you want to help other people who are starting off. And, and that's such a, that's such a powerful thing, don't you think? Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned it because it was the thing that surprised me most when I started blogging was that I just wanted to record my story and feel like I was accountable because it was in some way public, even though it was anonymous, that it was on the internet. I didn't think anyone would read it. And I thought in about three months, (laughs) I would have some interesting material that I could do something with. Mm. But what happened was completely opposite. As you said, there was the connection and there was accountability, which I had no idea would feel the way it felt when someone commented and said, you're not alone. Oh my gosh, my heart exploded. My, I cried. I was so excited. I was the same. The first time I had a comment on my, my blog, I was sort of, I was completely blown away because I thought the only person reading it was me. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. And that, you know, and, and I was like, oh, wow. You know, it's, and it was sort of, because, you know, it's addiction is a very, when you're in it, it's a very private thing. You know, you sort of, you build so many walls around yourself and, and you hide so much. And, you know, there's something just really magical about not hiding anymore, at least not hiding from people on the internet. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and, and being seen. Yes. And then as as the days pile up, you start to realize someone comments and says, I'm on day one. And you realize, oh my gosh, I'm ahead of them and I get to pull them forward the way other people pulled me yeah, forward. Yeah, exactly. And there, there comes this service that I had no idea that anyone would look to me for help because I felt like I was such a mess. And, and you, know, you know what? That doesn't just help them. It helps you too because yes. I, I think the most, the most difficult thing about 
when longer term recovery is is you know now to me it seems so such a distant past all that stuff that it's very easy to forget how awful it was and it's very easy to start thinking oh actually that i was a different sort of person then i can do things differently now perhaps i could moderate um you know all those little thoughts that start going around in your head and when you when you are hooked into the the community and you are talking to people who are in the early days, it constantly reminds you how lucky you are to be where you are now. And, you know, and it reminds you that there is, you never, ever want to go back. Um, and, and that's, so it's, it's a very powerful thing in both directions that, uh, that giving back process. It truly is. And particularly because recovery comes from such a place of, hum- of humility and um, releasing of the ego, to be of service in the absence of that is was for me a new experience. How about for you? I mean, I, I, I wanted to be an expert and I would help people with my expertise. That was my past experience. You know, I'd be a spokesperson or I'd, you know, whatever. I just mm-hmm. in business, you're you're you develop an expertise and you become uh, a profile in that and you develop a, a personality or a brand around that. It's the complete opposite in recovery in terms of helping people without being any kind of an expert except to say, I'm here and I'm humbled and I'm beside you. How did that feel for you? Um, Yeah, like you, it wasn't anything I'd I'd ever done before. And, um, you know, I'm ashamed to say that, you know, I think when I was drinking, I was I was a, I was very selfish, um, and I think addicts tend to be because you know we spend so much of our mental energy thinking about where the next drink is coming from. You know, I, I had you know most of my headspace was filled with, am I going to drink this evening? How much am I going to drink this evening? What am I going to drink this evening? Where am I going to buy it? Um, You know, all those sorts of things constantly sort of, you know, just interrupting my life. And, you know, and I just, I just didn't, I didn't have the mental space or the energy, you know, anytime I wasn't dealing with my addiction, I was dealing with my kids and my own life. And I, I just, I don't think I was a very good friend or a very good wife or a very good you know very good person for a while um and I didn't see it when I was in it but um but I don't think I'd helped anybody who wasn't you know I wasn't directly related to probably for some time so you know so it made me it gave me back my my self-respect in many ways mm-hmm. what a gift that is yeah um, that is, uh, I think that was what is missing for a lot of us is that we lose ourselves and it, whether it's through motherhood or through work or both, or somehow life erases who we are a little bit and we buy into that and the, yeah. the spiral starts. And, and I think you only have the energy to help other people if you are yourself in a, you know, in a relatively good place. And, um, you know, and I wasn't when I was, uh, when I was drinking. Um, although, you know, as I said, all of this is with the benefit of hindsight, <laughs> you know, at the time, the time is very <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about uh, publishing. So your blog was a massive hit and became a book, The Sober Diaries. Mm-hmm. That was a, a memoir of recovery. Your, your new book is fiction, The Authenticity Project. 
let's talk a little bit about, let's start by talking about telling your story. I know when I started my blog and hit post for the first time, I was absolutely terrified. Uh, I, I knew that I could revoke that blog at any moment. If I felt too vulnerable, I could, I could turn it off, shut it down, delete it, the whole thing. It's different with a book. <laughs> yeah. It's you are giving birth and releasing it into the world and you cannot go back and take back all those copies. Tell me how that felt. Oh. Were you prepared for it? And what was uh, the response? You know what? I thought I was and I wasn't. Um, so, uh, so the big difference is when I started blogging like you, you know, I was anonymous. I, you know, I, um, didn't and I didn't publicize my blog on any social media you know I, I it was very much a sort of it was a very private thing although it was obviously very public also but uh, but I, I blogged under a pseudonym sober mummy for for um, for the first uh, the first year and um, uh, so you know the first step really was was coming out and saying actually this is me this is who I am and you know what I just a quick aside, actually, because what I love about the sober Instagram community is how public it all is. Because back when you and I first quit drinking, it was there was, I think, a lot more shame involved. And there were a lot more people who were talking about it anonymously. And now, now there's a lot more pride in, in the whole sober community. And I think that is the most wonderful thing um, and, and something that I think is changing quite rapidly. Um, so, but back then I, I was anonymous. And uh, so when I, um, but after I've been uh, blogging for about a year, more and more people started saying to me, you know, your story has really helped and it makes me feel less alone and you should publish it. And um, I talked to my husband about it and, and, you know, I just, if you've read the sober diaries, you'll know that eight months after I was diagnosed with, um, eight months after I, um, I quit drinking, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which, which was a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare. And, um, uh, and I just, uh, you know, a year after quitting drinking, I had, um, I'd uh, been through breast cancer treatment and, and I sort of developed do you, do you mind me swearing on, on, on your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> because Let her rip. <laughs> I developed a sort of what I call the sort of effort uh, button. Um, uh, and um, in that I sort of, I sort of felt I've been through so much that, you know, nothing else, you know, what, what was the worst that was going to happen? You know, it, it made me, it made me feel sort of, you know, ridiculously courageous for the first time in, in my life, probably. So, um, so as a result, um, I, uh, I thought, yeah, why, why, why the hell not? So, so I, I came out, I approached publishers, I got a publishing deal. And, um, a year later, my book was about ready to hit the shelves and they'd lined up all this publicity and there was TV and there was radio and there was press. And, and for the three nights before the book came out, I, I, you know, I couldn't sleep. And then when I did sleep, I had that, have you ever had that recurring dream where you think you're walking down the street naked? <laughs> yes, often. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had that dream over and over again, you know, because it, it did feel like, you know, exposing yourself like that felt like, uh, you know, I was going to, to be walking down the street naked. And, you know, you spend so much of your life putting on, 
you know, putting your best face on and showing the, your best self to the world. And I was going out there and showing my worst face to the world, to all the people who'd ever known me who might pick my book up. And and I, I was really worried I'd get horribly trolled. I thought that people would say, you know, call me a bad mother, that they would call me all sorts of names and that they would say I was a terrible person. And you know what? When it came out, I realized so many things. Firstly, I realized that when you're really truthful about your life, people, no, nothing can hurt you because nobody, nobody could, you know, nobody was going to turn around and call me a lush because I'd already done that myself. You know, I'd already called myself a bad mother. I'd already told everyone that, you know, that my life was out of control and that I, you know, I wasn't for a long time. I wasn't a particularly good person. So. You know, no anybody else saying that back to me was not going to have an effect, and you know that was a really liberating realization. And I also realized that when you're really truthful about your life, um, other people are really kind. When you make yourself vulnerable, people are really, really kind. I think the people that get trolled are the people that put on a front. They're not the people that open themselves up on the whole. Um, and, um, so actually it was, you know, having, having been so frightened about it, it, it was fine. And then it was more than fine because since then I've had literally thousands of messages from people all over the world saying what a difference that book made to them because they, like me, were feeling really alone. They were feeling like I was, that my life was over and and it made them realize that they weren't alone and their life was only just beginning and and yeah so it wasn't as bad as i thought <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for the courage to do it because your book has helped so many people and I love how there are so many resources now there's print there's um blogs or maybe not well they're definitely not the thing that they were you know, years ago when we both started, but they're still there and they, they live in perpetuity that others may find them mm. when they begin their online search. Yeah. Uh, so even if they don't have the in- level of engagement and traffic that they did, they remain a resource. Yeah. Then there's, there's yeah. blogs and there's just my, so many ways we can connect. My, my blog, um, uh, my mummy was a secret drinker blog is still there. It's, uh, you know, there are, it, it details, there are hundreds and hundreds of blog posts detailing sort of, you know, my first three years of, of, um, of quitting drinking and, um, and it's totally free. Um, and it still gets about 2000 hits a day. Um, despite the fact that, you know, I, I don't update it any longer. So, so, you know, it's, it's great to feel that it's still helping people. Definitely. And I talk often about the stages of change. And before people are ready to take action, they spend a certain amount of time in awareness and then preparation to take Mm -hmm. that action. And I feel like the blogs and the online resources are an important step in in that, in in developing the courage to make a change. And and this podcast is as well. Um, People people listen to help them decide if this is the life they want and if they can see themselves successfully doing this. And um, it's so important that it's there. I I think the way most people found me back in the early days was uh, by Googling, am I an alcoholic? (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> that, that's the way I found the the recovery community myself. And I, I think for me, it's one of these signs that you really do need to do something about your drinking if you found yourself Googling that question late at night. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, because we've all, we've all done it, you know, we've all been, you know, at some point thought, you know, I think I, I'm not sure this is, this is quite how life is supposed to be. And we put that question into Google. Mm-hmm. And then it may not be the exact circumstance. It's, you know, someone might say, well, I don't have children. I can't necessarily relate to her or I in a different region or socioeconomic bracket or something like this. But, and yet they might pin on one sentence that's, that explains how you feel about alcohol or how you feel about yourself that they say, oh, that I understand. Yeah. That's me. And that can be all it takes. And the, the amazing thing about this community is there is so much more that unites us than there is that divides us, you know. And and it's as you say, it's often the little things. So I remember when I was in, writing my blog in the early days, I started talking about my fear of cashiers and how I always used to worry that I was being judged by the cashiers and they would be, oh, was this woman here last, you know, last night buying alcohol and I wonder how much she drinks and all this, stuff. you know. And and I confess this in my blog and I had thousands of people all over the world, as I say, from different ages, different nationalities, different life circumstances saying, I worry about cashiers too. And then I had somebody say, I am a cashier and I do judge you. <laughs> <laughs> That is hilarious. I know I made a big show of saying, oh, I have book club tonight. Um, yes, how many bottles do you think I need for five ladies? Or <laughs> oh, dinner party tonight and then I would rotate stores. Oh, yes, we've yeah, all done it. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's those little things often that are so, so much more powerful than the, you know, the big things that might be different, like whether or not you have kids and which country you live in, you know. Let's talk about your new book, The Authenticity Project. This is fiction, mm-hmm. and it is uh, a really lovely read. I enjoyed it very much this week. And um, I, I was saying to you just before we started recording how it was a really refreshing read because it's it's a really lovely story, kind of a whimsical story of how strangers' lives are woven together. And um, in this world that is, you know, a little heavy right now, it uh, it is nice to be reminded uh, that there are interesting stories out there and and fun stories to be told. What was it like for you writing fiction after writing uh, releasing a book that was a memoir? Was it more fun to write or harder to write? Um, oh, it's it's different, um, and and you know, I I think probably. Every- most people who write fiction end up drawing on their their own lives and you know so whilst it is fiction it, it was very much inspired by what I've been through so you know the whole idea behind the authenticity project is the idea that you know everybody lies about their lives and we all put on this front and you know uh but the the truth often is very different and um, uh, and, and that was, that was really inspired by, you know, what I had done myself, you know, I'd spent years and years and years hiding the truth. Um, so, so the book is about, uh, about a, an artist who, who has, finds a, 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 
little notebook and he writes in it, um, everybody lies about their lives. What would happen if you told the truth instead? And he tells the truth about his life, leaves it in a cafe where it's picked up by the owner who reads his story, reads about how lonely he is and decides to track him down and, and help change his life. And she writes her own truth and then leaves the book somewhere else. And the book is passed between six strangers who all tell the truth about their lives and all end up meeting each other and changing each other's lives in miraculous ways. And and that really is the recovery community, isn't it? You know, in that, you know, it's, it's about people who are ostensibly very different, but who all find each other and, um, you know, and make each other's, uh, you know, make each other's lives different, uh, better by being authentic. Um, so, uh, so, so yes, it, it, it is, it is fiction, but it's very much inspired by my own, my own life. And one of the characters is obviously an addict. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, he's called Hazard and he is a, um, uh, he's, he was addicted to alcohol and cocaine. And at the beginning of the novel, he, he gives up, um, drinking and drugs. Um, so we follow his story, um, of, of getting sober. So, so yes, in, in a way, fiction and, and non-fiction sort of, you know, merge together in my own head. Another character in the story is Alice, who's a young mom who is leaning hard on alcohol to help numb her loneliness and mm. her struggles. Um, and yet she doesn't fall into the spectrum of addiction, but very much is you know, trying to find her way through a, a difficult period in her life. What was it like to write that? Did you um, really draw heavily on your own experience or um, were you, was it informed by some of the stories you've heard from other people? Uh, uh, both, really. I mean, a lot, a lot of it was, you know, a lot of the way that Alice feels is how I felt as a young mum. So, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, being at home, with a small baby in the in the early days is is incredibly you know all encompassing and grueling and um, and you know it was it was quite interesting going back through those experiences in my own head to 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 write Alice and you know she um, uh, so she struggles with um, uh, with the fact that she was a career girl and she is now um, you know at home with this small baby and she. You know, she feels like she should be so good at it, and she, but she doesn't really know what she's doing. And you know, she uses wine in the way that you know uh, that that I used to use wine, you know, to to relax and and uh, and make herself feel adult again. Um, and um, uh, yeah, and there are some every now and again. If, if you've read the sober diaries, you'll spot a story from my own life. So there, there's one moment where where Alice's um, husband comes back from work and she has terrible mastitis um, and she asks him to go to, out to buy a cabbage um, <laughs> because, because I've heard that, uh, that cabbage leaves inside your nursing bra would make, your, would make, make it more comfortable. And, uh, and he comes back with a bag of Brussels sprouts, which he then throws at him. And that, that's the story from my own life. Although in my case, it was cauliflower and not the, the, the Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, Alice, Alice is, is very, very much the mum that I was when I had small children and the mum that I think many of us were. 
she also has an Instagram addiction. <laughs> so she's a she's a mummy blogger, you know, and she puts this portrays this perfect world, uh, this perfect life, um, which isn't her real life. And you know, and and we all see a lot of that on social media. You know, a lot of those those uh, mothers who make everything look beautiful and effortless and make us all feel terrible. And and Alice is is one of them. Yes, and I I loved the you know the idea that maybe that baby that's so adorable and perfect, in uh, the mom and baby in the picture, you know the mom might have her shirt on backwards because it has spit up on the other side, yeah. and the baby might have a poopy diaper, but you can't tell any of that in the picture. No, exactly, uh, and it's important that we all remember that because we judge our own you know, our own uh, insides by, you know, what other people show us on the outside. And, and, uh, and that's a dangerous thing to do because, you know, it's, it's all, it's, it's not real. There's a very poignant moment in the story where two women spot each other through a window and each has the life that the other one wants. And each of them is judging the other person based on their own perception of themselves. Um, uh, you know, I read that passage a couple times over because it just struck me so hard. It's something we say a lot in recovery and that you just said, which is don't compare your insides to someone else's outside. Yeah. And I really felt as I read that, that that was a woman in recovery that wrote that moment. That was a woman <laughs> who'd done a lot of... of um, self-searching and and uh and had healed that part of herself yeah and you know I, I think the thing thing that I found interesting about when writing the book is it's written from the perspectives of six different people and each of them makes assumptions about the others and as a reader you know what the reality is and you can see the assumptions that are being made and you're constantly reminded that that what we think about people isn't necessarily the truth um and as you say, it's informed our our assumptions about people are informed by our own issues often. So, you know, actually going back to the whole recovery thing, you know, I find that the people that found it most hard that I quit drinking were the ones with their own drinking problems. Um, you know, and your reactions to other people, you know, are often informed by what's going on in your own life. Um, and again, it doesn't reflect the reality. So, so the book constantly, you know, looks at the difference between, you know, the reality of what's going on in people's lives and the way it looks, the assumptions people make, the different assumptions that, that you know, people make about the same person, all of that sort of thing, um, which I, I find quite fascinating. One uh, thing that I often hear writers say, and which I have adopted myself, is to write the book that you would like to read. Is this the book that you wanted to read? Were you were you looking for something light? And do you think that there is room in the marketplace for more recovery fiction? Um, yeah, I mean, I I wanted to. You know, I, I wanted to write a book that touched on addiction, but I didn't want to write a book about the doom and gloom of addiction, if that makes sense. I think there's a lot of fiction out there that, you know, like Girl on a Train and, you know, there, there's, there's a lot, lot of fiction that looks at the horrors of addiction. And, you know, and I wanted to write a book that, you know, would make people feel better about life and about humanity and more hopeful about um, uh, more hopeful about about 
other people and community and all of those things. And uh, yeah, so so it, it was the book that that I wanted to read. Um, and it's funny they uh, in the publishing community uh, it's, it's described as uplit or uplifting fiction. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and I think in you know we live in very turbulent political times, and you know there are there are some really terrible things going on in the world. And I think sometimes you need fiction to be an escape. Um, and you know I like to think that if somebody is struggling, whether it's with addiction or or you know any tough time in their lives, that they would be able to go out for a walk and listen to my book on audio and and smile. Um, so and and feel that you know there is there is hope oh i love that i also really enjoy the idea of um in addition to your readers which i assume would be largely in recovery or part of touched on by the recovery world that uh, a mainstream fiction like this but that has a narrative about recovery is another way for us to help shatter the stigma that's out there um, to show recovery in a more uplifting light and to show that it, what's on the other side of the darkness mm. is the joy and the light and the healing and the growth. And that may be a, a new idea for a lot of people that haven't really been exposed to it in any other way. Did you set out to do that or do you think that'll be a byproduct of this um. project? Yeah, I think it, I hope it will be a, a byproduct. I didn't, I didn't set out consciously to do it, but I think it's so much on my mind that it just seeped into the narrative. Um, so, uh, and you know, I hope that through Hazard, people will understand what you know how it feels to to go sober in a world where everyone drinks. Um, and I think through Alice, hopefully, people will think more about the mummy wine culture and the whole sort of wine o'clock thing and the sort of and social media addiction and uh yeah i think um uh i I think stories are such a powerful way to to put messages across without preaching you know and if people take out of them the message take out of fiction the messages they want to take out and they leave the things that aren't relevant and and so it's a very gentle way of of you know of, of um of informing people i think Now, speaking of the rigors of motherhood, I know you have to run soon in order to get your children where they need to be today. Um, Before you go, I want to ask just about the process of writing and where it fits into your schedule as a very busy woman with a demanding life. Uh, Do you write? Are you a 5 a.m. writer or a in the car on your phone writer? How does it fit in? What's your routine? It's It's a really great question to ask at this point because it almost takes our whole conversation full circle. Because <laughs> I, I was talking about how when I when I quit drinking, one of the my the tools I found really helpful was going to bed early and getting up early, and um, you know, and I write at five a.m. So I go to bed pretty early and I get up at five a.m. and that's when I write. And if I'm not sure I ever could have written a whole book while I was drinking because I don't know where I would have fitted it into my day. And uh, and that 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. slot is my magical time. You know, it's when, you know, I find you think much more laterally when you're partly asleep and before the day has really got in the way. And um, and it's a it's a really creative time. And um, And I also find now that if I wake up in the middle of the night, 
in the old days, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and, and berate myself for all the bad things I might have done or, or my lack of willpower and self-control or whatever it might be. And now if I wake up in the middle of the night, I use, I use that time to work out plot points and to sort of think through ideas because, again, you, your brain thinks in a, in a really a much more lateral and creative way when, when you're you know, in, in, those, in those sort of half-asleep hours. My experience in writing fiction, uh, I have written a novel that is yet to be published and another one underway. It is like doing a logics puzzle Mm -hmm. out of thin air in your mind (laughs) and it is all consuming. Your mind is always chewing on how am I going to get this character in front of that character so that this can happen? Did you find that it really consumes yeah, your thoughts? But you know what? It's great therapy because you know, <laughs> um, what the, the amazing thing is that, you know, one, I remember when I first quit drinking, um, uh, everybody was talking about mindfulness. You know, what you had to do to, to quieten that addict head and all that chatter that constantly is sort of distracting you and, and making you feel edgy is to meditate and be in the moment. And, and I was hopeless at meditating. <laughs> so the more I tried not to think of anything, the more I, the more I, uh, the thoughts just kept sort of piling in. And actually for me writing, um, and you know, either fiction or nonfiction, but almost fiction probably even more because it's so all consuming, um, is a great way of of stopping your mind from stressing out about all those little worries, you know. So in those moments where you're trying to work out how A might meet B and what secret C might be holding from, you know, hiding from D, um, you know, you're not thinking about, oh, God, you know, what happens if, um, you know, I, whatever, you know, whatever your worries are with your parents, your children, your friends, whatever it might be, it's, it's, you're not thinking about any of that. And it, so it gives your mind that little break from from the day-to-day you know concerns that you might have in the same way that reading a book does um so so yes reading writing both fantastic therapy I think I would have to agree and I don't think that anyone has to be an experienced writer to have the benefits of it I think just to sit down with a pencil in your hand and uh, or at your computer and just unhook from the world and let your mind go. The benefits are there for anyone and everyone. Mm. And uh, fortunately for the rest of us, you have invested time in doing that because we can really enjoy your work and it is truly a delight. Tell me how our listeners can find you, find your work and get your latest book. Uh, well, both uh, the Sober Diaries and um, and uh, the Authenticity Project are available all over the the, the world on on uh, on Amazon. And um, if you are in the US or Canada or Australia um, or South Africa, you can get the Authenticity Project from uh, from local bookshops also. Um, so, uh, so, so yes, that, that, that's, that's where to find them and where to find me. Um, I'm on Twitter, C Pooley writer. Um, I'm on Instagram, um, at Claire underscore Pooley. I'm on Facebook as sober mummy. Um, and my blog, mummy was a secret drinker is, is there a free resource for anyone who, who, who is, who wants to, to use it. So, uh, so yes, that's, that's where I am. Well, thank you so much for sparing some time today to talk to us. It is a delight to hear your voice after years of enjoying your work. And I hope we can talk again soon. 
Oh no, well thank you. I, me- I remember in you know in the the my early days of being sober, I would go for long walks with with my dog and listen to the bubble hour on on uh, on uh, in my my earphones, and and it was uh, always always such a joy and a support, and it's such a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you. That was my discussion with Claire Pooley, author of The Sober Diaries and Mommy Was a Secret Drinker, her very popular blog, and most recently her new novel, The Authenticity Project. And by the way, I bet you've seen it on the shelves. The day after Claire and I recorded this discussion, I was in my local Costco here in Alberta, Canada, and there was Claire's book. And I literally squealed with happiness knowing that one of us has had such a global impact and touched so many with her writing and is doing so, so well. So I hope you enjoyed my visit with Claire and I uh, encourage you to go out there and check out her work. She is a fantastic writer and a lovely, lovely person. I hope all of you have a great week. Know that I'm thinking of you. I'm putting time into this episode because I believe it helps you. Helping you helps me. And I appreciate all that we are accomplishing together by making this podcast impactful. And wow, it's just amazing how things unfold, isn't it? That's all I've got for this week, everyone. I hope that you are staying warm in this chilly February. At least it's chilly here. Those of you in Australia and New Zealand, hello to you. It's summertime there, so I hope you're staying cool and collected. (laughs) The rest of us are suffering through February, but uh, we're in it together, and I hope everyone looks after themselves. So until next time, everyone, I'll be taking good care, and I hope you will be too. Bye-bye. I own it, I did that Not proud, but that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free From the power weakness had on me I take back a little dignity I'm not 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.